All right, so this morning we're going to be talking about, like I said, anxiety. We're going to be talking about anxiety. And for me, when I think about any topic, uh, there is a grid that I run it through. And the first grid is the office. Uh, and so when I think about anxiety, a scene in the office comes to mind. Uh, Michael Scott, who is the former at this point uh, manager of uh, Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, uh, has left and decided that he's going to start his own paper company called, appropriately, the Michael Scott Paper Company. And uh, it's a really bad idea for him to leave. It's very clear it's not going well. Uh, but he brings Pam, the receptionist, along with him. And so Pam shows up to Michael's condo the first day to start things off. Uh, and you can tell that things are going in a bad direction as soon as she shows up. Pam is wearing kind of business professional. And then when she comes to the door, Michael Scott is wearing a robe and Crocs. Like, he could not more clearly give you a signal that he has given up on life when he shows up wearing a robe and Crocs to the front door. And they're having this conversation, and Michael is wanting to make breakfast and not wanting to talk about business because he's so anxious. He's so anxious. And then Pam tries to suggest to him, Michael, why don't, why don't you get dressed? Why don't you get dressed and we can get started? And he said, I'm not getting dressed. I have too many things to do before I get dressed. I have to get 100 clients. She says, Michael, that's impossible. And he says, I know it's impossible. And he freaks out. Isn't this, like, on some level what anxiety feels like? Like, you've got, you've got to get 100 clients before you can get out of your Crocs in the morning. Like, it's this overwhelming feeling. It feels like everything is wrong and only you can fix it. It feels like your problems are in, like, size 72 font, all caps, and your ability to fix them is in subscript. Like you have no ability to handle the things that are being thrown in your direction I wonder uh, if any of us have had days like this, uh, a day where you start off, uh, you set your alarm the night before because you have a lot of things that you have to get done, so you set it maybe 30 minutes earlier because you're like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to be productive. Uh, but what happens? You're really tired and you end up snoozing five times. You're snoozing five times and then by the fifth time, you start, the things start popping into your head, all the shoulds. Oh, I should have gotten up. I should have done this. Oh no, I'm going to be behind. And then finally, you know, you kind of enter into the day through this lens of shame. I didn't get enough done. I didn't get out of bed. And then as soon as you get up, what happens? The kids wake up. The kids wake up. And then from, from that point on, it is, okay, we got to get breakfast. we got to figure out lunches. we gotta, we got to shower. Nope, definitely not going to shower. Let's just continue on with the day. And then you go to work or you stay home with the kids and you're just, it's constantly doing things. You're, and you're constantly feeling like you're behind. Then you get to the end of the day, and then your kids decide it's the witching hour. It's the hour where they are going to be terrible little terrorists to you for like two hours. And so you're just sitting there thinking, all I want to do is go into another room and just scroll on my phone. Uh, and you can't do that. So what do you do? You sit there, you turn t the TV on, and then you start scrolling on your, th your phone and half paying attention to what's going on around you. And then finally it's dinner time, and then it's bedtime, and then what do you do after that? You sit down on the couch and you read your Bible. No, you sit down on the couch and you turn on Netflix and you watch four episodes and then you go to bed thinking about all the things that you didn't get done only to do it again. See, our lives are controlled by anxiety, aren't they? We live an anxious existence. And the passage that we're looking at, it's Jesus speaking to people about anxiety. These people lived in a very different time from ours. It was before the advent of the smartphone. They didn't have all of the things that we have. But they were very familiar with this temptation to live lives that are characterized by anxiety, to live lives that are characterized by having great care about things that are really out of our control. 
And I think just like the people who heard this sermon for the first time originally, we, we're tempted to live from a place of anxiety. We're tempted to live from a place of hurried anxiety. And Jesus, in this passage, is going to invite us to live in his non-anxious kingdom. And doesn't that sound nice, to live in a non-anxious space? So the question we're going to look at this morning, how do we get there? How do we live in this non-anxious kingdom? We're going to see three things from this passage. First, we stop seeking our own anxious kingdom. Second, we study our Heavenly Father's care. And third, we start seeking the non-anxious kingdom. So stop, study, and start. So let's just jump right in. First, we stop seeking our own anxious kingdom. Uh, So the first thing that Jesus tells us when he's talking about anxiety is to stop. Is to stop. And I wonder how that hits you. It's really, really hard to stop when you're feeling anxious, isn't it? It's really, really hard to slow down. And the first thing that Jesus, uh, this, this master teacher, this God of the universe, the first thing he tells us to do is to stop doing something. He says in verse 25, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He says not to be anxious about your livelihood. Not to be anxious about the things that you're going to eat, the things that you're going to drink, or even about your clothing. And I think for us, even just hearing this, on some level it can feel a little tone deaf when Jesus says something like this. Like, Jesus, I'm anxious and you're telling me to stop being anxious. But I want to invite you to imagine what it would be like for the first people who heard this, the people sitting out there on this hill in Palestine when Jesus is telling them not to be anxious about these basic needs. See, for the original audience when they heard this, the things that Jesus is telling them not to be anxious about, about food, about clothing... These would have been things that would have been very hard for them to come by. So if it's hard for us to hear this, it would have been even harder for the first hearers of this sermon. They would have thought, Jesus, being worried about things, being anxious about what we're going to eat, what we're going to do, that's the thing that keeps us alive. So I think the question needs to be asked, when, when Jesus is saying, do not be anxious, is Jesus kind of like punching down? Like, is Jesus kind of like, you know, saying something that's really easy for him to say because he doesn't have to worry about it? Like, is Jesus basically like texting everyone from brunch with his friends saying like, hey, it'll get better? What's he doing? No, I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. He's not doing the kind of, I don't know if you've seen that, uh, that Bob Newhart skit uh, from SNL where uh, there's like a lady who comes into his office. Bob Newhart is a psychologist. She comes in and shares that she has this fear of being buried alive. And so Bob Newhart listens. He's like, oh, that sounds horrible. And he says, well, I've got a solution for you. Um, and she's like, oh, do I need to write it down? He's like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll remember it. And so he says, here's what you need to do. And he just says, stop it. Stop it. That sounds like a horrible way to live. Why would you want to live with a fear of being buried alive? And it's clearly not working. He says, okay, stop it or I'll bury you alive. <laughs> like, is that what Jesus is saying? No, that is not what Jesus is saying. And I want to get at this this way. I want you to consider, what is Jesus' location as he's telling us to stop? What is, his, what is his status in the world? See, Jesus is not saying this, again, from, from off and on like a comfortable vacation. He's saying this as a man without a closet. He's saying this as a man who probably only had like one change of clothes that he carried with him on his back. 
He's saying this as someone who intimately knows the temptation of worry. He's saying this as someone who, in the week previous, probably had to skip a meal. And he probably will a week after that as well. See, Jesus is a man who knows what it's like to worry. He's a man who knows what it's like to be anxious. See, he's not standing at the top of a pit saying, listen, it looks really terrible down there. Uh, You just need to stop it. No, what he's doing is he's down in the pit with us and he's saying, I know how to get out. I know how to get out. So I just want to make this abundantly clear. When Jesus tells us to stop seeking our own anxious kingdoms, when he tells us, do not worry about your life, Jesus is a man worth listening to. He's a man worth listening to. So first, we stop seeking our own anxious kingdoms. But second, we study our Heavenly Father's care. Uh, Thankfully, Jesus' teaching on, on anxiety, it does not stop with, don't be anxious, but it moves forward. He tells us to study. And he gives us two pictures from the natural world. So we see the first one in verse 26. He says, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Uh, When Jesus says the word look there, he's not just saying like glance, notice. He's saying to to gaze upon them. To look at the birds thoughtfully. to, To study them. To study their ways. And he's saying that when you look at these birds, you're going to see that they don't really give much thought to where their next meal is going to come from. They don't uh, do the human farming things, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Uh, What Jesus is doing here is setting up kind of a a how much more argument. He's saying essentially birds don't give much thought to food, yet God feeds them. You're more valuable than birds. Do you really think that your heavenly Father won't feed you? Do you really think that? And then he gives us another image. He says, consider the lilies. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And again, the word consider, it's to think about it deeply. So I just want you to imagine this. Like we, we say, I mean, when I was growing up, the WWJD bracelets were really like popular and really cool. Um, I want to submit to you that like, what would Jesus do? A possible answer is tell you to look at birds and flowers. Jesus was the type of person who said that sort of thing. He looked at, at people who had reason to be deeply anxious, and he said, look at birds, look at flowers. And again, he's setting up a how much more argument here. He's saying that plants don't worry about how they're clothed. They don't worry about their growth. And yet they grow. And yet they're clothed beautifully. And he's saying again, you are so much more valuable than plants. Do you really think that your heavenly father who cares for you is not going to give you what you need? And then Jesus kind of summarizes his teaching here in verses 31 and 32. He says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Uh, So Jesus here is saying that um, Gentiles seek after these sorts of anxious things. Uh, When he says Gentiles, he's not uh, really trying to single out a particular people group or be racist or anything like that. He's speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience. 
And so Gentiles, it's kind of shorthand, and he's done this earlier in the sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Gentiles is shorthand for people who don't know God. What he's saying here is people who don't know God spend their time worrying about these things. People who don't know God worry about their food. They worry about all this stuff. And so he's saying something that I think it might hit us really heavy. But he's saying it to us with kindness. He's saying that anxious, anxious worrying about your life, it is inappropriate for someone who knows God as your father. Anxious worrying about your life, it's inappropriate for people who know God as their heavenly father. I think uh, the poet and author Wendell Berry captures what Jesus is saying in his poem, The Peace of Wild Things. He says, When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound and fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests and his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief, I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and am free. See, I, I think Jesus is telling us, don't tax your lives with forethought of grief. Don't bring the grief that's sure to come to the future into the present. But he says, instead, go and lie down. Go and lie down where the wood drake rests, and study your heavenly Father's care. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, like, maybe go for a walk and take the AirPods out. Maybe don't listen to that podcast when you're walking from one thing to the other. Maybe just sit in quiet. Maybe just notice things. See, be attentive to this beautiful world that God has created and, and sit with the fact that as much as God loves that, as much as he cares for that, as much as he sustains that, he loves, cares for, and sustains you so much. So study your heavenly Father's care. And then third, uh, Jesus tells us to start seeking the non-anxious kingdom of God. So to be anxious, we, we've, or to be non-anxious, Jesus has told us that we need to stop. We need to stop seeking our kingdoms. We need to study our heavenly Father's care. And now we need to start doing something. He says it in verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So rather than anxiously seeking after security, rather than anxiously trying to go for things that we feel like we need, we are to eagerly seek what Jesus calls the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? It means to seek the absolute kingship of Jesus. The absolute rule and authority of Jesus. And this introduces something to us that I think it's, it's a paradox on some level. It's really hard for us to believe. But it's this. We become less anxious people when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we put them onto Jesus. We become less anxious people when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we put them onto Jesus. It's a bit ironic on some level. Like In order to be secure, we have to stop anxiously obsessing over our own security. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it this way in Mere Christianity. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So he's saying, aim at heaven, seek first the kingdom of God and you will get earth thrown in. But then if you aim at earth, you will get neither. Uh, this reminds me of kind of the, the ultimate dad tip that I ever got uh, from my dad that has become important to me again later on in life. Um, 
I remember when I was growing up, there were we would drive around our neighborhood and just admire lawns, you know, like guy stuff. Um, and we would see like all these straight lines, like beautiful lines that people would have after mowing their lawns in the summer. And I just remember seeing those and being like, I got to do that to our lawn. And so what did I do? I went home and tried it out. We had a riding lawnmower. And so I'm like on the lawnmower and I'm anxiously kind of watching, trying to make sure that the wheel is in the right spot because I got to make sure these lines are completely straight. Well, what happened? When you look at it, the line is so curvy. Like it looks like an anxious person made the line. And I told my dad about it. I'm like, why, why in the world am I not getting this straight line? He said, well, son, I'm going to tell you something. It's very important. If you want to have a straight line, you need to look past the yard. You need to pick a point. You need to pick like a light pole or something like that and focus on that. Don't even look down. And that's how you're going to get those straight lines. And see, I think in the same way, I think this is what Jesus is saying to us. If we want to be less anxious, we need to look beyond our own anxieties. We need to take eyes off of ourselves and put them on Jesus. We need to put them on our king. You see, Jesus is the king who keeps us secure, not our anxious self-obsession. That's not going to do it for us. In order to be less anxious, we cannot be the kings of our lives. Jesus has to be the king. So, so what would it look like for us to live with Jesus as our king? What difference would that make in our lives? Uh, I think two things that I can think of. Uh, living with Jesus as your king, it means that you can say no. It means that you can say no. Uh, if you're anything like me, uh, when you're asked to do something, uh, no matter how inconvenient it might be for you, uh, you are tempted to say yes. Just gut reaction, default. Because if I say no, then that person might not like me. If I say no, then, then I, might not, uh, I might not be seen as the type of person who's competent, who can get ahead. I think we're tempted to say yes to everything, to keep the peace and to avoid conflict. But because Jesus is king, we don't have to live like that. Because Jesus is king, we can live within our limits. Because Jesus is king, we can, we can say no, and we can be okay with the fact that some people might not like us if we say no to things. We can be okay with the fact that we might have to disappoint our boss. We can be okay with the fact that we might actually have to disappoint our friends from time to time. You see, because Jesus is king, we can live within our limits, and we don't have to be everywhere for everyone. We don't have to know it all. We don't have to do it all. We can be a human being. We can be a person with limits. But on the flip side, uh, living with Jesus as king, it also means that we can say yes. It means that we can say yes. We can take our eyes off of ourselves long enough to be curious about other people. We can take, we can take time to listen to that person at work who just talks. And you know they're going to talk as soon as you ask them how things are going. But because Jesus is king, you can take your eyes off yourself long enough to listen. Or you can begin each day kind of with open hands asking the question like, King Jesus, what is it that you have for me today? Who do you want me to notice? What do I need to do? Who do I need to listen to? So we can start seeking the non-anxious kingdom. So Jesus has shown us uh, that we can become less anxious people, that we can live in this non-anxious kingdom of God by stopping, by studying, and by starting. And when Jesus spoke these words, kind of seated atop a mountain in Palestine, he was intimately aware of the human temptation to anxiety. 
Jesus was a man, this is something that we don't talk about often, but Jesus had kind of gainful employment for most of his life, and then during his ministry, he lives off of the support of these, these wealthy women that he had healed, that he had done things for, and they supported him. Jesus knew the temptation to be anxious. He knew it. And he was also a, a Jewish man who would have been deeply steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. And so it's hard for me to imagine, as Jesus was saying these words on, on anxiety, that Proverbs 12.25 didn't come to mind for him. It says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And Jesus, in this passage, I think he has met us with a good word that leads to gladness. But I'm also aware of the fact that like, you can't just like, stop being anxious from hearing a sermon. You can't just stop being anxious. Uh, It's just not just like a a mindset change that automatically you're going to stop being anxious. Like we need something more. We need a good word that is spoken to us constantly. We need a persuasive good word. And what I want to suggest to you is that Jesus himself is that good word. Jesus himself is that good word. In order for us to stop being anxious, in order for us to take the risk of taking our eyes off of ourselves and our own needs, we need to know that someone's got us. We need to know that someone is watching out for us. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has us. See, in love, God the Father sent Jesus the Son to redeem anxious humanity. And in love, God the Son endured this anxious world. I mean, think about this. Jesus is the very one who provides for the birds of the air. And yet, he knew what it was like to not have enough. On the cross, he cried out, I thirst. The one who created every molecule of water thirsted. And Jesus, the one who clothed the flowers of the field, hung naked on a criminal's cross. And he didn't do this just merely to empathize with us. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. He did this to kill the deepest source of our anxiety. To kill the relational discord between us and God, between us and one another, and us and creation. He did this on the cross And in love, God the Spirit applies this work of Jesus to the deepest places of our souls. So I want you to imagine the deepest source of anxiety in your life and just know that it is the Spirit's work to apply the gospel to those places, to apply them deep into your soul so that you can receive and rest in Jesus. See, our God has shouldered our anxiety so that we can live in his non-anxious kingdom. And when this story of what Jesus has done sinks in, when this story sinks in, we can become the sort of people who are not anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. So in our anxiety, let's look to Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, we will see a man who knew what it meant to be anxious. And we will see the lengths that God was willing to go in order to confront our anxiety and to show us, I've got you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, 